0: Greetings, my name is Rohan Kolkarni, and I head the healthcare practice at HFS Research. Welcome to HFS Unfiltered Stories podcast. I have with me this afternoon Vijay Pattabhi Raman and Sri Thai to dwell into social determinants of health amongst other things. Vijay is Vice President of Healthcare Analytics for Neighborhood Health Plan of Rhode Island, which is a not-for-profit health plan with over 200,000 members or almost one in five of Rhode Island's population. They support Medicaid, dual Medicaid, Medicare members, as well as the individual exchange market. Sri is the co-founder and CEO of Health Sigma, an enterprise that applies data science and artificial intelligence to improve the financial health and operational efficiencies of providers and payers. Prior to Health Sigma, he helped take Apollo Health Street from infancy to a $100 million exit, and has also held leadership positions at Booz Booz & Co, Deloitte and Beacon Health Options. Today we will talk about social determinants of health, such as economic stability, education, community well-being, well-being, and and more. Given my guests today are in a prime position with access to a spectrum of clinical administrative and other data that they have, we will dig into their views on using this data to leverage social determinants of health to improve the triple aim goals of better health outcomes, reducing cost of care and improving uh, experiences. So with that, let's talk unfiltered. Let's start with something that is extremely obvious, data. In this world of health and healthcare, the amount of data is overwhelming and we have the tools to make sense of it. Yet I believe the data is optimally used across the ecosystem, including not being able to utilize the potential of social determinants of health. So let me start with you Vijay. What are your thoughts on why that is and what will change that trajectory? Thank you, Rohan, for the
1: opportunity to participate and share my perspective. I appreciate that. Um, one of the main rational if you think about it, um, when, the, when the Affordable Care Act was instituted in 2014, there were three underlying goals that you just alluded to. Um, let's try to increase the number of folks who have access to insurance, right, and then demonstrate uh, uh, an evidence-based um, um, uh, that there is an improved quality of care as well as the overall PMPM cost uh, we were able to reduce by by driving people to preventive services. Um, But what has happened over the years is, and and I I know ACA through some of its um, uh, reforms proposed that there is a collaboration between all the players in in a healthcare system, right? So the families, the patients, the payers and the providers, and uh, and the clinicians all work together in tandem. Um, If you take, if you measure uh, what drives, what are the determinants of an optimal health outcome for a member, um, and and if uh, it's 80% of it is driven by non-clinical factors, not non-clinical determinants. So which means um, that that the environment, the member lives, um, the, the physical characteristics, as well as their behavior, some of their behaviors that they adopt, some of the risky behaviors, I would say, uh, all contribute to it. So when, when you think about it, so the clinical care accounts for only 20% of the health outcomes, which means uh, if, if, if you are a health plan, or uh, if you are a provider, and you want to drive optimal health outcomes for your members or patients, you should consider more data than what you receive based on a based on a patient-provider uh, interactions. Um, so, in order to do that, um, there are there are two facets to it, right? So, you need multiple data sources, um, either at the community level or at the individual level, in order to lead that multifaceted analysis that gives you a holistic view of. All the determinants, other, uh, all the non-clinical determinants that leads to a better outcome for your members. Um, But given that, right, and and again, I want to set the landscape. A majority of healthcare organizations, if you look across the stream, either on the payer side or the provider side, the the primary uh, reliance uh, in driving are quantifying a member's risk and expecting. an outcome for that members is primarily based on those interactions that the member have with that providers. So, you, so the train has left the station, right? So you are you know for a fact it's evidence based. Uh, your quality of services and the care delivery only is going to affect twenty percentage of your membership when you're not focusing on the social determinants and other things. Um, you have missed that train. Um, when I say social determinants, as I alluded to physical environment, meaning the air and water quality, which is a problem in Michigan, right? Michigan has been in use lately, right? Uh, housing and transit. Um, and then on the socioeconomic side, when I say that, it's more education, employment, income, uh, individual income, um, uh, family and in the social setting, as well as, uh, community safety, for a lack of better word. Um, on the health behavior side, the risky behaviors, we are, when I say about that, any tobacco use, um, frailty is one, diet and exercise is another. So, where um, so most of the organizations are missing or not getting the bang for their buck, for a lack of better word, is they are, their reliance on, on the clinical data is, is more pronounced. Than the non clinical side. I'll
0: and to yeah. see if you have questions. Yep. Thank you. Sri, I would love for you to weigh in as well, please.
2: Uh, Rohan, thank you so much for having me. Um, we, um, within the healthcare industry, we have not done a great job of managing data, right? Uh, we are very siloed. Uh, we have divided ourselves as members, providers, payers, pharma companies, and we don't talk to each other. And that paradigm actually has to change, right? We have to keep member at the center and try to link all the things that we are doing with the member, right? From a data problem perspective that you alluded to, I really think of it from three angles. One is the regulatory framework, right? We have HIPAA and data privacy laws and organizations have used those laws to hold on to the data so much so that member uh, actually struggles sometimes to get his or her own health records, right? CMS is trying to address that through their fire regulations. Uh, fire is Fast Healthcare Interoperability Resources, and they're trying to open up the communication that can exist be- uh, across and between various participants in the ecosystem. I think that's a step in the right direction from a regulatory framework perspective. Second is in terms of the infrastructure, right? Even within an organization, we know systems don't talk to each other, processes don't talk to each other, functions don't talk to each other. And there are issues from inter, uh, even within a uh, a company, communication between various departments. And there, I think some of the newer technologies you know, think cloud in this aspect. As companies more and more adopt cloud, they now have the capability to uh, share uh, data and capabilities on cloud that is more easily accessible uh, to everyone with appropriate security and permission constraints, right? So that's the second aspect, the infrastructure competence. And the third is really capability to aggregate, synthesize, and analyze data. And that's where companies like Health Sigma and others come in, and there are many others that are working in that space, come in where we are where we are building analytical tools that can analyze this data and provide insights for companies like NHP to make meaningful impact in the local communities. So in that aspect, right, SDOH becomes a important data element that we have for the most part, not really introduced uh, in our thinking and slowly progressive health plans and progressive leaders uh, like Vijay are now incorporating that uh, into the overall health strategies.
0: Thanks, Sri. and Let's stick to data for another moment. Uh, you also mentioned emerging technologies there, so I want to pull that thread some more. Um, generally speaking, you know, emerging technologies I think is uh, is making it easier to capture data. Smart analytics is allowing us to do, I would say, magic with uh, with AI and is driving very interesting applications. Yet, in a recent study that we did at HFS Research that involved about hundred U.S. health plan CXOs, uh, there was overwhelming evidence that up and down that health, health, health plan value chain, that there were significant opportunities, be it with member engagement, with provider management, claims care management, uh, and so on. So Shri, my question to you, um, in which I certainly wanna get your, your thoughts on this as well, is do you think that this is an indication that it's time to re-engineer healthcare value chain itself, to reimagine it and perhaps you know, start afresh or do you think we need to fix it? And if we have to fix it, how do you how do you think we should be going about it?
2: Yeah, no, that's a great question, Rohan. Um, we know that there are significant opportunities to redesign and transform healthcare. Uh, Waste in US healthcare is 750 to $900 billion, right? That, Just to put that in context, that's bigger than the defense budget, that's bigger than the total spend that we make in primary and secondary education. So clearly we have to do a lot uh, within healthcare. Unfortunately, large transformation initiatives have not given us uh, good success because we have not executed them well, right? Uh, 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 That's not to say that CXOs should not champion large transformation, uh, transformative initiatives, they should but I think they need to manage it better, they need to scope it better, and they need to deliver it better. Um, I think that there are also significant opportunities at the department level where they can have meaningful impact without dramatically shaking up things, right? So in that context, for example, when you look at uh, AI ML technologies, they can complement legacy capabilities and address where gaps exist. Uh, let, me, let me give you a few examples. If you look at auto adjudication rates, right? So typically they're anywhere from 75 to 90%, depending on the health plan. But every claim that is manually touched costs four to $7 to process. And you can put in the new technologies that augment the legacy claims processing capabilities and automate dependent claims. You have similar solutions, for example, in provider data management. And we know that's a huge pain point for both providers and members. Similarly, there are claims analytics that can, for example, incorporating SDOH, can identify high utilizers, right? So the most needy sections of the population so that you can have targeted medical management programs at them. So there are a number of ways where we can address this, uh, but we need to be very creative about it. We do need to pursue large transformative initiatives, but I think there are a lot of opportunities even at the department level where you can have meaningful impact Taking out costs and improving health outcomes.
0: Perfect. Thanks, Sri. So, Vijay, you know, alluding back to the research we did, you know, we spoke to a lot of your peers across the industry, and you know, I, I tend to agree with Sri that uh, there clearly are opportunities in order to transform that, and there's a particular approach. But you live this every single day. What are your thoughts?
1: Yeah, my thoughts are so I I explain the other side of the equation, right? So. Um, of course, there is a higher reliance on the clinical data. Why are uh, the payers and the provider systems not using the non-clinical data? Because the the, the difficulty is um, getting your hands on all those publicly available non-clinical data, um, linking them to your membership, analyzing them, because the publicly available data um, tends to come with lots of noise. So. It takes efforts and a strategic thinking and investment uh, in order to make use of it. The other bigger challenge is also the disjointed way in which they are collected, right? Because again, um, this goes back uh, to operationalizing as well as your, your surveys that are conducted, right? Um, you need to have a use case first in order before collecting the data. But these in this in this regard, it happens the other way around. The data are collected first without having a, a use case in mind. So there is a lack of standardization. Um, there are lots of research organization. Um, Shri alluded to some of them. Uh, for example, um, the Institute of Medicine um, as, uh, as well as initiatives uh, led by University of California, San Francisco, as well as San Diego. Um, what they call as site and social interventions, research and evaluation network, um, are basically working on that problem, improving the standardization and structuring of these data that, so that it can be easily integrated into your, um, um, uh, what I call as analytics or uh, your exploratory uh, uh, space for a lack of a better word, a data lake and whatnot. Um, but this requires, right? So in order to do that, right, it's great that those research organizations are uh, going along the path of making it better for the common good, but you need all the players uh, in the system uh, in order to push for more standards, standards, right? For a lack of better word, right? It's for um, what we struggle with and I'll, I'll talk about it um, um, later. Uh, we, we use it to drive most of the activities on the payer side. But in order to integrate it into your provider process flow, it becomes extremely difficult when there is a lack of standardization uh, with, with these publicly available data. So that's the challenge. That would be the game changer when there is a standardization and consistent consistency in collecting these data across board. So- got it,
0: got it. So l- let me shift gears a little bit um, and share a little bit of a, of a statistic here. Uh, before I ask my question. So the U.S. per capita healthcare cost is 3x times OECD. We spend almost $11,000 a year compared to $4,000 or so with OECD countries. Yet prevalence of chronic conditions is on the rise. We expect that almost 50% of, of us is going to be affected by one or more comorbidity condition or chronic condition by the end of this decade. Life expectancy has already declined one full calendar year of the last decade, and that is even before COVID hit us. This is clearly unsustainable. So we know when we discuss healthcare, it's really about cure for sickness, but we have an opportunity to address health and prevent or slow disease progression if SDOH is is really leveraged. Community health plans like yours, um, Vijay Neighborhood Health are primed for this. So my question to you is, do you think SDOH remains academic? And you, address, you addressed a couple of challenges with uh, the way we capture data or the fact that we capture data and really don't really know how to use it. Or do you see it being better leveraged to impact populations in a much more meaningful manner? And do you think that there's a paradigm that is different than what we've practiced that needs to be someone to make a true difference here? Yeah.
1: Great question, Tarohan. Thank you for that opportunity. Yeah, uh, yes, I would. Uh, I would disagree on the premise that it's academic and and, and, and SDO user of SDO is a myth. Um, I'll talk about what we do at Neighborhood Health Plan as well as partnering with some of the uh, uh, consulting and research firms like uh, Health Sigma uh, to influence um, the, the triple aim of population health that you alluded to, um, improving, uh, improving uh, member experience, um, uh, improving the quality of our care delivery as well as impacting the PMPM cost. Um, you are right, the expenses are going through the roof and, and we noticed that. Um, um, I'll specifically talk about the pharmacy side of things. So the pharmacy costs like the medical and the behavioral health are trending up, but the proportion of pharmacy to your total expense is twice uh, than your medical cost rent for a lack of a better word. And we can talk about what those reasons are and write, um, your high cost drugs and whatnot. Use of SDOH, if, if we want to talk about it, um, we use it both at, at the community level and at the individual level. There are several publicly available data that I alluded to. Uh, we collect the SDOH data at a community level from ARP. Uh, We collected from Brookings Institute, which which has a metro monitor index. Um, uh, CDC puts out several things which talks about the behavioral and the risk factors as well as the prevalence of certain conditions. Um, We also partnered with um, our, we also utilize University of Wisconsin's uh, both the Population Health Institute as well as the School of Medicine uh, which ranks the different cities and counties based on uh, the livability and the uh, uh, livability health index, um, as well as Census Bureau, of course, um, uh, along with Moody's, uh, puts out several information that are more usable and whatnot. Um, the collection of the social determinants of health data at an individual level is still a work in progress because of the reasons that I alluded to. There's a lack of standardization uh, in order to match your numbers. And, and, and again, we partner with uh, one of the organizations called Algorex to, uh, to get our own customized data, but that's that's still a work in progress. Um, that are the applications that we use, SDOH. Um, Shri alluded to this uh, in his earlier comments. Um, we develop risk, risk analytics in order to stratify our population, identify members uh, for targeting, um, for uh, improving their uh, uh, health outcome. And when we do that, and and, and the social determinants increases the predictive power for a lack of better word um, um, in in allowing us to target our uh, uh, high-risk, high-utilizers cohort. for example, we recently did a design of experiments around um, two inverse uh, cohorts for a lack of a better word, members that we deem as high risk who are low utilizers and vice versa, members who we uh, deem as low risk being a high utilizers. And, and again, this is more exploratory analysis and whatnot, but this basically allows us to get closer, right? In a perfect world, your predicted cost right, would would correlate strongly to your actual cost. We don't live in a perfect world, but, but the usage of social determinants of health data gives, increases that predictive power that helps us get closer, that helps us make the predicted cost get closer to the actual cost. So uh, I, I would say it's not a myth and it's got greater usage uh, as we go into enter into the next decade uh, of this, paradigm shift in the
0: healthcare space, so. That, that is highly encouraging, um, especially coming from someone like you, who's not only part of a health plan, but also sees the data and sees the uh, possibilities, if you would. And you know, Sri, from your standpoint, you're another person who sees health plan data, you see member data quite closely. I'd love to get your thoughts on, how do you see SDOH beginning to manifest itself or health plans using SDOH data To change how they interact and manage members?
2: Uh, Vijay alluded to a lot of the uh, points that health plans are doing, uh, uh, Rohan. Uh, SDOH will continue. I think we are still in very early stages of really incorporating SDOH into our thought processes. Uh, There needs to be a lot of experimentation with this, a lot more analytics that you can start applying some of the examples where we are trying to identify the high utilizers, so that there is targeted uh, attention to them. And there are a lot of other areas that we can actually uh, uh, move the analytics to. We can get it to the individual level and try to figure out what are the specific interventions that are needed. And not all of them need to be from a health plan perspective. There could be community level activities that I think the state and local level organizations should uh, uh, address uh, as well. And there are opportunities for health plans to collaborate with some of the local community uh, organizations to improve and have more, ne- more meaningful impact. Uh, I think we are still in that, uh, those early stages. There needs to be a lot of experimentation. And some of those models will work. Some of the others will not work. But those that do work, uh, will, will, uh, I, I think we need to really scale them up and uh, and there are a number of health plans that are trying to do it and uh, nhp happens to be one of them uh, uh, and and i think more experimentation needs to happen to your point uh, the the current curve of uh, healthcare cost is unsustainable right it it was 5% in 1960 healthcare as a percentage of gdp today it is 18% so it is actually making us uncompetitive uh, so it is from an economic perspective, from a competitive perspective, and overall well-being of the society that we dramatically need to change, and SDOH is a, is a very significant lever that we can apply.
0: Thanks, Sri. Um, you know, just before we get on the, um, the back half of our, uh, of our podcast, uh, let me also make a comment specifically about the use of SDOH. I, I find ourselves at an inflection point, and I've discussed this with, uh, with you gents in the past where in 2020, for the very first time, enrollment in self-insured uh, in self-insured plans or those that are sponsored by uh, self-insured employers actually increased over fully insured um, in- enrollment. What that really tells me is that employers now have a once-in-a-generational opportunity to influence the behaviors of their employees and their employees' dependents, which are their families. Uh, the reason that makes me more encouraged about the possibilities of SDOH is um, employers are largely going to look at this from a productivity standpoint, and they recognize that productivity is driven by both the mental and the physical aspects of any employee, and that the, um, and their bias towards trying to address SDOH is likely going to improve that productivity and therefore their financials. right? And I think this is this is probably a more material shift in paradigm without actually talking about it. I, I think this is something that's organically going to happen just because of the nature of how enterprises tend to behave, right? So I just wanted to call that out as something that will complement what Jens have already spoken about. You know, both from a uh, from a health plan standpoint as well as from a uh, technology enablement standpoint as well. So um, we have a few more minutes left on the clock here. L- let's start thinking about this from a uh, from a future standpoint, um, in a recent research that I published, I was able to show the distinct correlation of our lifestyle choices and health outcomes to our political affiliations. Ideology appears to play a material part in health outcomes. Now, given the level of polarization in the country, you know, a small example is about mask mandates, for instance. Uh, there is a certain level of um, Uh, I I guess anxiety would be the right way to think about it in terms of what the future holds. So Sri, let me ask you, what are your thoughts on the impact uh, to the future trends of health and healthcare uh, based on some of the uh, ideological correlations to to health outcomes?
2: Yeah, uh, Rohan, you're absolutely right. Uh, We live in very polarized times. uh, And consequently, what it means is that Um, Very little actually gets done at the federal level because there is a gridlock there. Uh, But I am actually uh, 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 optimistic about what is happening at the ground level, right, at the state level, at the local level, at the county level. Uh, And I feel that is where uh, the real ground action is, and that is where there can be meaningful impact to the communities. Let me give you uh, just an example. I I live in Texas, a red state. Uh, There is an affluent community uh, uh, near where I live and there is a not so affluent community where I live. There are community activity centers in both those locations uh, with almost similar facilities, right? the swimming pools, the basketball courts and whatnot. The affluent community activity center, it costs about $40 to $50 a month uh, for membership in the not so affluent community, it costs $40 a year. Uh, So clearly at the local level, leaders are looking at community activity centers as a key enabler of of socializing people, of having meaningful impact on the community, both from a mental health perspective, but also physical health perspective. So I do see uh, action at the ground level. I'm very optimistic that as we uh, have greater collaboration between uh, uh, regional health plans that are close to their communities and the communities themselves, we are going to see meaningful impact. Uh, Though, unfortunately, there is a gridlock at the federal level.
0: Fair enough, fair enough. Which are your thoughts? Yes, I would agree
1: with some of the statements that uh, uh, some of the thoughts that Sri shared. Yes, um, we live in a polarized world. um, but what gives me hope is the, is the uh, continued collaboration at the state level between the community health centers, right? Which, which is our founder, uh, Neighborhood Health Plans founder, and, 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 and the different uh, provider networks. Um, there, there is a reason on why the polarization and the underlying anxiety, right? Um, the, the healthcare landscape has changed tremendously over the last last decade or so Uh, with the COVID um, worsening that situation. The demand for healthcare services has increased as you alluded to earlier, Rohan. um, um, There is a growing epidemic of chronic diseases. COVID-19 is going to make that worse for lack of better word, as well as the demographic shift uh, in the older population. right? And and then again, the prevalence, right? There is, by 2050, one in every five individuals uh, will be a diabetic, and that's the, that's that's a stark warning to us on where we are heading towards. What has all that has done is it has increased the demand for the healthcare services, as well as it has increased the PMPM cost. Then, um, so I, I would I would say, right in my adult life, for the first time, I never foresaw this. Um, there is also the inequity in the system. Right now, Medicaid has more members in the in their line of business than Medicaid for the first time. 71 million against 63 million. Uh, what made that happen? The inequity in the system, the COVID-19, and the prevalence of the different chronic conditions, as well as the influence of that non-clinical determinants that I talked about, um, your lifestyle and, and, and whatnot, right? And again. Most of the restaurants, if you go in, there are no servers anymore, right? This was before COVID, right? And you go in and order from, from an iPad or whatnot. And so that's that's the type of world we are heading towards. And that has encouraged uh, the, the, uh, the demons in us for a lack of better word, lack of diet and exercise and whatnot. So, um, but what gives me hope is the continued collaboration uh, like Sri mentioned at the state level, with the different community health centers and whatnot, as well as uh, the different um, entrepreneurs who are out there um, in in making the landscape are uh, making it more affordable to capture information more cheaply, and and I'll talk about it uh, later when, when when we talk at the later uh, part of this conversation.
0: So let me pull that one thread um, because I think um, we're almost at time. So let me ask one last question here, which is around climate change. Um, You know, I believe that climate change is perhaps the ultimate existential crisis that uh, we're all facing as as humankind. And I suspect that it's probably a thousand X um, of the pandemic in terms of its ferocity. I also believe that SDOH has the attributes that could potentially modify human behaviors, potentially inculcate better lifestyles and help reverse or slow climate change. So let me end this by asking you, Sri, what your thoughts are uh, sorry, Vijay, what your thoughts are on, because I, I think there's a little bit of connectivity to uh, your previous response, and then Sri, you can help us bring this back home. Thank you, Rohan. Um, I'll say this, and again, um, are
1: an HMO. So the value-based care will continue to be the biggest disruptor in the healthcare for decades to come. Uh, That's the one way where you deliver quality care to your members without compromising, uh, as well as control costs without compromising on the care delivery and the quality of care. But at the same time, the paradigm shift in the healthcare landscape is towards the four P's. it's the predictive, preventive, personalized and participatory care, right? As, 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 as a player in the healthcare landscape, as a patient, right, I share some of the vital data with my TCP, right? Uh, um, on what my heart rate is, what's my sugar level over a 24 hour period is and whatnot. So that participatory care is going to be the driver. As well as the digital technology, right? So um, I have my smartphone, and I don't have my smartphone with me. The volume of data that it's collecting that could be used to drive optimal health is going to be a game changer. Um, okay, the, the paradigm shift is happening, but um, there will always be winners and losers, right? And, and, and when when that when change happens in the system. Um, Again, I talked about this in the collection of data with regards to the SDOH data. Companies that that embrace efficiencies, right? Either by adopting Lean Sigma are going to thrive. Uh, Entrepreneurs like Sri that I talked about who are going to be the innovative thought leaders uh, who will drive digital health and emerging technologies like AI uh, are going to help us uh, gain momentum with this change. I talked about integrated healthcare delivery network. It's one thing that's good to use STOH to drive our internal initiatives from a payer perspective, but it's another to push that and integrate it with our provider process flow. So that's going to be a key. Um, As well as I know Sri alluded to this, uh, the technology standards that needs to be developed in order to enable interoperability, right? Uh, Companies that those involved digital health is going to be the other key i think the key mantra at the end of it and i know we talk about this is to be able to measure how good of a job that we are doing right as a payer being able to benchmark us against the very best in the in the world right NIO clinic comes to my mind for a lack of a better word uh, in how they use stoh data to drive their member outcomes um, as well as the transformation that needs to happen so it's more about personalized precise and participatory gap
0: on behalf of your members. So. Thanks Vijay. Shri, if you might, uh, very briefly.
2: Yeah. So from a climate change perspective, right, Rohan, um, 14% of human generated global warming gases are because of meat production. Right. And I, I, I don't think it is realistic for us to say you know, don't consume meat, but if the meat consumption is reduced, not only are you improving your individual health, but you're actually improving the climate health, right? So I think there are a number of things that we can do at an individual level uh, that will be not only helpful for us uh, as individuals, but also um, uh, for, for, for the climate in general. If you go to European countries, for example, the, the, uh, some of them like Netherlands, they use cycle as the predominant mode of transportation, right? you're decreasing carbon footprint while improving your health. You will Mm -hmm. see them uh, slim and healthy, uh, right? Uh, I think there is individual responsibility while organizations like uh, NHP and Vijay talked about the collaborations that are happening. But I think as a society, we need to take individual responsibility and drive home things that are going to be better for our health and, and, and ironically would be better for the climate as well.
0: Absolutely, spot on. I couldn't agree with you more. On that note, uh, Vijay Shri, this was really, really uh, exciting conversation. Uh, I, I'm sure our audience will find it um, very insightful. And on that note, I really thank you for your time as well.